This is Media Business Matters, the podcast about why recent news in the media business matters to people who love media. I'm Amanda Lotz. And I'm Alex Entner. On Media Business Matters, it's been a while since we've actually talked about topics that are important to the industry that's near and dear to Amanda and my hearts, the TV industry. So in this episode, we're going to kind of get back into it and talk about some of the stories that we've noticed come out of the TV industry so far in 2017. And the first thing that we want to address is there have been a couple major new series to hit the online streaming portals. We're talking about The Handmaid's Tale, which seems like it's going to be Hulu's first big drama series that will get them a lot of critical and awards attention. And there's The Good Fight, which just launched essentially CBS All Access's original programming. So, Amanda, what do these stories mean? Well, I think in the case of each portal, the the story is a little bit different. And I think we have to wait and see whether or not these stories matter. So Good Fight has run its first season. Mm -hmm. Uh, It got a lot of attention starting out. It has announced that there will be a second season. Uh, Whether it has led to a significant increase in CBS All Access subscribers, well, we haven't seen any data about that. Yeah, they're not saying anything about that. No, and, and I think you make the same note with, with Handmaid's Tale. We're in the middle of quite a big promotional blitz, but mm-hmm. you know, a whole bunch of promotion doesn't necessarily mean much. And I think what these shows might mean to these different portals, uh, it probably means a different thing. Uh, Good Fight on CBS All Access, I think, is a really surprising and strange strategy. I would not have thought... I know they were originally intending to launch CBS All Access with Star Trek Discovery, but then production issues with Brian Fuller's schedule and other things kind of pushed that back. Right. I think what was surprising to me about the push on, on Good Fight on only the portal, except for the initial episode is that this is, to some degree, the beginning of using these outlets as an exclusive outlet. And so as, let's say, the end of 2016 into 2017, as we've seen more and more services, whether it's the portals or the skinny bundles um, that offer access to these channels, Increasingly, what it was looking like was that this was just the legacy industry trying to make sure that their content was accessible to viewers, no matter how they wanted to watch. So those who were canceling cable, which isn't a huge number, but a meaningful number, that they were going... So it's enough that the issue matters, but not enough that it's going to substantially change the cable industry. Is that what you're getting at there? A lot has been made of cord cutting. Um, At this point, there are 20 million homes that don't have multi-channel service. Mind you, there were 10 million that never had it. Yes, 10 million, like 20 million, that's a big number of people. And so that's an audience that these services can no longer ignore. About five years ago, when Apple TV, Intel, uh, that's when Sony started talking about launching a service, initially at that time, none of those companies could get the legacy carriers to sign on to put their Mm -hmm. content on these services. So how do you explain the sea change in just that short period of time? It's that growth in households that aren't accessible anymore. Okay. And so so that's where, all right, CBS All Access, it's just another way to access CBS content for people who cut cable. But then why would they go and put something that you can't get anywhere else? More than what we've seen anywhere else, that's a cannibalization strategy that's different mm-hmm. than what we've seen at Hulu. So keeping in mind that Hulu is where NBC, Fox, and ABC are making their content available online. Right. I mean, for CBS All Access, what do you think the benefit is of having the good fight online? 
But they definitely were able to drive more attention to the show. I mean, I think what's really difficult, though, running with any kind of exclusivity strategy in this day and age is there's just so much television. I love The Good Wife. I'm curious about The Good Fight. I don't have the room in my life for another portal and another show. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's now in the back of my head. Maybe I'll get to it at some point eventually. Maybe it will find its way into my world so that I don't have to pay for an additional Mm -hmm. service. Um, But I think in this day and age, exclusivity is a dangerous strategy because there's just so much other content out there. And really the only way that you can be exclusive uh, is if, you know, right now it's the sports leagues that are able to still kind of throw their weight around with exclusivity. I mean, for I know for me, I was a big fan of The Good Wife. My mom was a big fan of The Good Wife. We got a CBS All Access account and watched The Good Fight. My curiosity, especially when I started to hear that it's actually good, and it is, it's really good, that's what got me to actually bite the bullet and subscribe. Now, I don't plan on keeping my CBS All Access subscription, and I plan on canceling it as soon as I get as soon as I can, and then hold off and see how Star Trek Discovery is. That's the bigger business strategy behind this. How do you get people to try something new? You you put something there that they want. And so launching behind known intellectual property, like a spinoff or a new version of Star Trek, those are very smart and traditional strategies. Especially Star Trek, because there hasn't been a Star Trek series on TV in a decade, and there's a hit movie franchise. And so the question will be whether... Viewers who come to the CBS All Access portal come and recognize that, oh, hey, you know, this is pretty convenient. There are more shows here than I I thought there were. Uh, There is this library of old content that maybe I'm interested in. Or I sign up, it hits my credit card, and then I just forget about Mm -hmm. it. So all of those things are working in, in CBS's favor, but they have to get you to try it first. Before we transition to our next topic, Amanda, you tweeted about a Nielsen statistic involving um, the use of certain portals. Well, that's the difference between the use and subscription rate. So there's okay. there's been a lot of attention and headlines about the percentage of homes that subscribe to different portal services. Mm-hmm. Um, Netflix has been you know, inching up and has been leading this for quite some time. What was interesting, and I'm not sure what their methodology is, but Nielsen released last week some numbers about use that I think are interesting. Okay. And so of streaming time, 46% of it is spent on Netflix, mm-hmm. 15% on YouTube, 8% on Amazon, 4% on Hulu, and 17% other. And those are just U.S. numbers. And so I've been looking for quite some time for some sort of sense of actual use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these numbers, they seem right to me and sort of separate from questions of buzz. And, and of course, you know, in terms of these companies... If you're an Amazon subscriber, Amazon really doesn't care how much you're actually watching. They're more concerned that you're paying that subscriber fee. Mm -hmm. So it's not that these numbers are uh, indicative of success as much as are people subscribing, which is what matters more to everyone except for YouTube. Mm -hmm. But I think this was it's it's an interesting illustration, perhaps, of where this marketplace is, and because we've been in this sort of strange other world where we have all this data about how many people are watching linear television and and we know so little about raw numbers in terms of of how people are using the streaming services. So it was an interesting benchmark and I, I look forward to keeping an eye on this going forward. 
And that's where I think something like The Handmaid's Tale may and may not be a story here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's a pretty low number for Hulu given its length of time in the marketplace, given the range of content that it has. I, I think really... And they've been producing originals for a few years now. They have. And I think, uh, as we saw also in recent weeks, NBC, Comcast, Universal, depending on which order you want to put those names, um, start making some noise about launching their own proprietary portal. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of the, the question I immediately had when I saw that is, okay, and what happens to Hulu? The reason that we're seeing Hulu there at at such a lower rate of use has everything to do with the fact that Hulu's been a company without a strategy for a long time now because it it sort of was born out of a, not quite necessity but it was it was born to be a solution to a problem you know early on of as, having all the network's content in one place right and that in this moment wasn't long ago before people were accustomed to streaming sort of making it easier give people a place to go and it sort of made sense at that time to put every every to put as much content in one place. Um, But the landscape has changed quite a bit, and as a result, you've got these three uh, giant companies, plus some participation now from from Turner Time Warner, and figuring out what that strategy is going to be going forward, I I think that's tough. And I mean, The Handmaid's Tale might play a role in kind of where Hulu's trying to go. I mean... We're going to see that story unfold over the next several months. Yeah, and I think I'm largely skeptical. It points to the way in which we really need a more refined tool for talking about portals and portal competitions. Mm -hmm. So what we see right now, Netflix and Amazon really making a play internationally, making themselves available everywhere in the world, and also making content for places not just the United States. CBS All Access and Hulu are in a really different situation there. Hulu's only available, I think, in Japan outside of the U.S. or well, maybe and, a couple. And even of I think it's largely just the name Hulu. It's not the content because right. if you think about you know who is Hulu, it's those content companies mm-hmm. and those content companies, along with CBS, have long-term deals and have for many years made their money by selling their content separately to international channels, international broadcasters. And so they really don't have the incentive to, to make that content available internationally. So I think we'll find out whether, you know, is there one business here that has to do with distributing content internationally and and Hulu and CBS All Access play in a different game? We'll be back, I'm sure, to talk about this more in a year or two to figure out what's happened next. (laughs) Or maybe even uh, when the Emmy nominations come out and we see if The Handmaid's Tale actually breaks through there. Yeah, I'm skeptical about awards (laughs) being all that significant, but I'm sure uh, Hulu will say a lot uh, if it it does break through, but... uh, it's been a big month in television as it is, so, oh, cute. Like, uh, and there are many more months yet to go. Yeah, I was going to say April has been almost the peakiest of peak TV <laughs> for like all the good shows coming back. Um, but let's transition a little bit. But we wanted to talk about a couple of the key issues that are happening right around upfront season and might have an impact on negotiations and other elements of importance to the broadcast network. So let's start with... Let's talk about stacking rights. Um, There was a piece published a little while ago in Deadline about negotiations between the broadcast networks and the studios, and one of the key issues that's been popping up is broadcast networks want the right to stack their episodes on their websites. Well, and not just their websites, also... And Hulu. Well, and the video-on-demand service that uh, multi-channel providers such as Comcast or Cox are now a much bigger part of viewing than used to be the case. So what stocking rights are, for those who aren't familiar, 
our networks want to be able to post all the episodes online. What's advantageous for the networks is they can say, catch up on our show uh, here. So you can essentially have throughout the season the ability to go back and watch episodes and catch up and join in kind of where you are instead of kind of the past practice of maybe having five episodes available online. Right. And I think you've seen an audience very much respond to both the pressures that there being so much to watch and uncertainty about what the industry is doing by delaying their viewership. I, I am among the people who has not yet watched This Is Us. You know, <laughs> like I saw the first one and I was sort of like, eh, I'm not real sure about this. And then I waited. And, mm-hmm. and that's really become my attitude toward most new shows. And I'm not going to invest my time until I see whether or not a show is going to make it. And when I watch a show, I want to be able to watch the episodes pretty consecutively. So I am exactly one of those people who the full season of This Is Us episodes that's sitting there uh, on my Comcast Xfinity service, you know, like that's exactly why it's there. And I mean, for me, mainly would come in if um, I see a show getting buzz. I think something like Empire would be a good example where like great example. I saw it getting buzz and I was able to kind of go back and catch up. This Is Us was actually something I watched weekly since the premiere funny how that works. Sometimes I watch weekly, sometimes I don't. It, we're, we're getting off, I'm right. getting off so, track here. So the reason that stacking rights are an issue is, is remembering the way in which the television industry is not a monolith, but actually a collection of different businesses. And so when NBC, let's say, chose to add This Is Us to its schedule, uh, it bought that show from Fox. Fox. Fox, yes. So Fox is the studio that actually owns it. NBC does not pay Fox enough to cover the full cost of the episode. And so NBC is really just buying the right to air it, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, one episode, maybe they'll air a rerun. Um, and so then stacking, not for this is us, stacking rights is then the right to connect the show to NBC really for the first full season, mm-hmm. um, putting it somewhere maybe like Hulu, um, making it available to Comcast and other providers uh, on-demand offerings. And they were, in this case, able to have the full season stacking rights. Often, when you have a situation where the studio and the channel or network airing the show are not owned by the same entity, often you can't get the stacking rights. And so um, there are a few examples maybe you've found here and there. Um, Modern Family is one that people point to, has been not available on demand at all. Part of that's also because it's a comedy, but it airs on ABC and it was produced by Fox Fox as well. And it also has a syndication deals with USA. I don't think Modern Family actually has an SVOD deal. Probably not. Off the top of my head. A lot of comedies Um, don't um, because they can still earn much more money in more traditional routes. And the Warner Brothers uh, CBS comedies as well. So we're talking about Mom, we're talking about The Big Bang Theory. Those are also not available on stacking rights. Right. And so the issue that start, that developed last year and has already become an issue this year is the way in which the next buyer of a show like This Is Us... So um, that would be streaming, SVOD. Maybe Netflix, maybe Hulu, maybe Amazon. The amount that... And when we say SVOD, we mean subscriber-funded video on demand. So that's something that you pay a special fee for, like Netflix or HBO Now that the amount that those companies are willing to pay has been less as a result of the ready availability of those episodes for an entire year on those on-demand platforms. And so it's, it's one of those places where the complicated dynamics within a conglomerate and the way in which a channel has one set of interests and the studio might have mm-hmm. another, um, even though sort of 
we might think of all the money coming back to Disney or coming back to NBC Universal. The fact that actually those are separate divisions in corporate structures. And so a studio uh, may be hesitant to allow the full stacking rights because the amount of money that the studio is able to then get back in trying to make a deal with, with a company like Netflix might be diminished as a result of exposing the show so extensively during that first year. Well, And studios can get more money uh, from SVOD services by making it exclusive. So in the sense of it has not been streaming on an ad-free platform like Hulu Plus. Um, studios can get more money out of that. And we actually saw that happening uh, in practice with American Crime. American Crime is not available on Hulu. It's only available on ABC.com. The big reason for that is American Crime's deal with Netflix, such that it cannot be made available on a platform like Hulu, which is a competitor to Netflix. Yes, we have many layers of the television industry getting more and more conflicted and complicated, and sometimes they're co-owned and sometimes they're not. And I think what this all points to is the many ways that the economics of the television industry are changing. And what at the core here is a quiet story of the shifting revenue models that are part of television. And even though we continue to think about broadcast and most of cable's advertising supported, the way that these companies have actually pivoted their businesses to be much less reliant on advertising and to be much more reliant on subscriber fees Mm -hmm. and on owning their own intellectual property, that then they make money by selling it through these these new windows and platforms. And especially because one of the key platforms, cable syndication, is not nearly as valuable as it used to be. We're, we're, we haven't had a big landmark syndication deal since, I think, Modern Family. No, and I, I mean, part of that, too, is it's, it's complicated and for different kinds of shows. So yeah. comedy continues to sell better in, in those environments, but the dramas that you and I like to talk about yeah. um, in their complexity <laughs> and their serialization are really designed much more for being sold to a subscription video service such as Netflix than for um, cable. Yeah, it's going to become more complicated as time goes on and more streaming services enter the market. And pointing to the way in which the market is changing, uh, there is a recent study out from Variety by Cynthia Littleton that was that took a look at the increase in the amount of revenue that the content conglomerates are earning from SVOD. Um, and she w- only had access to figures, the difference between 2012 to 2015. So mm-hmm. keep in mind, you know, we're almost two years already off of this. But in just three years, the, the revenue that the conglomerates were earning from subscription video on demand, so again, services such as Netflix, Amazon Video, went from 1.62 to 2.79 billion. That's so, uh, almost doubling. Yeah. And so that, again, is that kind of shift. Now, are those figures that replace advertising? No. Um, not necessarily. Um, were we ever going to see a big cable syndication deal mm-hmm. like we saw for The Sopranos um, and, and just a few others? Probably not. So it's, it's really hard to sort of say what to compare that number with. But it, it certainly is the case that that is a market that the conglomerates have a, their eye very much on. And the thing that I think we both found more interesting was how the licensing models work for certain networks. I think they had Freeform in there and HBO and the SVOD services as well. There's a little graphic in the study that's fascinating. 
Right, and that's the transition from deficit financing to what's called cost plus. Right. And, and, and again, very much a reaction exactly to the way that there is much less opportunity to earn residuals or any additional back-end money when you're creating originally for a service such as Netflix or Amazon. Uh, and so it's funny, I was when I was starting some of this research back around 2005, 2006, there was a lot of discussion in the industry that deficit financing is dead. Um, and, and then it didn't die and everybody stopped talking about it. Um, but between this deal and then there's some new creative deals that NBC is doing for uh, creating content, it actually looks like maybe uh, we're moving more and more away from that as a dominant model. And, and again, that's it's this in some ways, cornerstone of the industrial practices that have, have really undergirded the TV industry. Yeah, um, and, and you know, that's not like I'm I'm not nostalgic about it or anything <laughs> like that. It's just recognizing that when something like that changes, it changes many other things unintentionally. Whether it's you know the ability of writers to profit from their shows, um, it also changes the kind of shows that can be made. And so. Right. All the attention that has gone to how great television has been in the last decade, and there's all these different kinds of shows, there's so much. You know, all of that also comes back to the changing economic practices. Yeah. <laughs> Media businesses, they matter. They do. And now it's time for the last segment of each and every show, What We're Watching This Week. Amanda, what are you watching this week? I have been working my way through Netflix 13 Reasons. I'm halfway through episode 12. Um, so Oh my, so I you're know. getting to just the intense emotional stuff right there. Yeah, because it's just been such a light walk in the park. Yeah, right. Um, and I'm catching up on this season of The Americans, and I have been watching a series of unfortunate events oh, on Netflix with my kids. Um, and because we've talked talked so much about their structure and things like that, I thought mm-hmm. I needed to finally take a, a moment to watch them. And I think I, I am enjoying all three in different ways. Yeah, all three of them are really good shows, and The American still remains one of my favorites, even if this season is a little bit, like, I, I weaker is kind of the wrong word, but it's not as strong <laughs> as... Which would be the definition of weaker, but that's Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, Alex, what are you watching? So I've got two things in mind. First is The Return of Better Call Saul, which is season three. We're three episodes in, and it's just been fantastic. Um, They've been paying off things much sooner than I would have expected. Um, We've got the return of a famous Breaking Bad villain, and I am... I am loving this season of Saul. It's one of my favorite things on the air right now. And I also want to shout out The Handmaid's Tale, which I've seen the first three episodes of. Hulu has posted the first three, and I've seen them all. And it is harrowing and intense with a great lead performance from Elizabeth Moss and other great work from Alexis Bedell and Yvonne Strahovski. Chuck, the Chuck fan in my heart, was happy (laughs) to see her. It's fantastic. It really is. Like, it is every bit as good as it was made out to be. Which is very hard to say for a show that had, like, as much buzz as The Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. That wraps up this edition of Media Business Matters. If you want to learn more about Media Business Matters, you can go to amandalots.com and click the podcast link at the top of the page. You can also subscribe to us on two other platforms besides our generic RSS feed. You can go to Apple Podcasts, or you can go to play.google.com slash music and search our name. We are in both places. Please subscribe to us. Please rate us so it'll help us get noticed. Amanda, where can our fine listeners find you on Twitter? At Dr. TV Lots, D-R-T-V-L-O-T-Z. And you can find me at Alex Itner. That's Alex, I-N-T-N-E-R. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. 
and we'll be back soon.